We all sat in a family meeting with her neurologist and nurse, and they never said the word Alzheimer's disease, but they handed us a piece of paper that had the word. They said, a little dementia. And then they handed us the paper with the A word. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, educator, and caregiver support group leader, a frequent speaker at caregiver conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget my wine, Mike. Oh, no. I always have your grape juice ready to go. Your mommy juice. I appreciate that. (laughs) So most non-caregivers and beginner caregivers think dementia is a one-size-fits-all. However, the experienced uh, dementia caregiver knows that if you've seen one dementia patient, you've only seen one dementia patient. And there really isn't many resources that are tailored to a patient and or a caregiver's specific needs. And that's one of the things that make it being a family caregiver and even a professional caregiver challenging in so many ways. Because as soon as we think we know what's happening, something strange happens, a a new issue, a new challenge pops up. Relationships with the person have an effect on, on how things are managed. And it's really... Uh, helpful to know that as more and more people become affected with these terrible diseases, more and more resources become available. And that brings us to today's guest. Um, She serves as the executive director of the Women's Network at Us Against Alzheimer's and directs the organization's consumer-facing brain health education and engagement programs. She's the general manager for Brain Guide, the organization's newest initiative, focusing on bringing state-of-the-art technology to consumers across the country that are worried about their or a loved one's brain health. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Brooks Kenny. Welcome, Brooks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Although I'm not a doctor, but thank you for the compliment. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, just for the record, Bobby gets that a lot too. A lot of times when she gets selected to speak at conferences, they send her things saying, Dr. Bobby. (laughs) And I, and right. So I'm I'm sorry I made that that mistake with you. That's okay. It'll make my parents proud. Like many of us who are now working in the caregiver world and supporting people with dementia, um, you had a personal experience with someone with dementia, is that correct? I have. Uh, My mother-in-law was diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's disease actually about six weeks into my role here at Us Against Alzheimer's. And uh, my father her in-law and mother-in-law lived uh, away from in Florida, away from us, uh, and we really began taking on the caregiving role. I would say uh, as a family, you know, my husband is one of five uh, siblings, and I, with my health background and my public health experience and new role at Us Against Alzheimer's, you know, I, I took on a lot of the responsibilities related to healthcare and medication management and local services and resources while my husband and his siblings took on a lot of the logistics and 
financial planning and safety concerns. Because as you all know, <laughs> you know, there are multiple tasks when it comes to caregiving and especially for someone living with Alzheimer's disease. And I would say the thing that was the most challenging for us was the steps to diagnosis. You know, it, it was pretty clear when we finally got to that day that she had been experiencing memory challenges for quite some time. And that's sad to see as a family. And it's sad to wonder about what might have been different had she been diagnosed earlier and had we had, you know, had we had more time to plan, more time to get organized in terms of, you know, her healthcare providers, uh, local resources, all those things that come into play when you have a loved one that you're trying to keep safe and you're trying to, you know, manage the symptoms of a disease that is often, as you said so well at the top, you know, if you've seen one, you've seen one uh, case. And so we were in much more of a chaotic mode around her diagnosis than I think we would have been had it happened much earlier. It's also not, you know, it's worth noting, and I know I'm not alone, but we all sat in a family meeting with her neurologist and nurse and they never said the word Alzheimer's disease, but they handed us a piece of paper that had the word. They said a little dementia. And then they handed us the paper with the A word. So we're still as a country, you know, that was only six years ago. We are still as a country not talking about Alzheimer's disease the way we need to be. No. And very often uh, a question comes up, what's what's the difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia? And one way that I explain it is sick is to flu as dementia is to Alzheimer's. If somebody says somebody has dementia, you want to ask them what kind of dementia they have because it's not as if dementia is one disease and Alzheimer's is another. It, That's right. Um, and there, there are several forms of dementia. Alzheimer's is the one that um, people hear about the most. Um, and a lot of the behaviors from the different types of dementia um, cross over and, you know, you see the same kind of things going on because this is a devastating brain disease. Um, so it's also one of the reasons why I developed a program called um, Prepare to Care, what every adult needs to know about dementia, uh, Alzheimer's before and after it strikes home that you probably know, and I won't hesitate to tell our listeners that at the rate that dementia is growing within 10 to 15 years, the, the people in the workforce now are going to be taking care of their parents, their spouse, their siblings. And as you mentioned, the sooner that you understand that this is coming, the better prepared you can be. So thank you for mentioning that. No, absolutely. I, I, I and I, I love the a prepare to care program. And I, I believe so strongly that we need to change the conversation around Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, right? I mean, when we think about diseases like cancer, you know, the general journey is well understood. You know, if you were to ask the random person on the street, most people understand that cancer is diagnosed stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. There are different treatments that are used depending on the type of cancer. I'm not saying the journey is easy, but we have a narrative to discuss it. If you ask the average person on the street, what are the stages of Alzheimer's disease? What are the benefits of early detection and diagnosis? 
most people wouldn't be able to answer that question. And yet 60% of the cases of Alzheimer's disease go unrecognized. Absolutely. And cases that do get diagnosed, get diagnosed late, leaving the family in chaos, you know, leaving everybody kind of in that crisis mode, trying to get their loved one the resources they need, make sure they're safe, make sure they they have uh, access to local support. And, and it's a huge job. So I am a you know, I stand on this soapbox because I really believe it is time that we make a dent in Alzheimer's disease and get people diagnosed earlier and get people talking about their brain health sooner so that there's more support for families. I, one of the reasons that I, I developed that program was so my children would know how to take care of me. Uh, wow. Yeah. And well, what a gift you're giving them. I, I even said to, to our daughter, she and her friends were all 40 at, at that time, and I said, do you think that they would be interested in learning about this? And she said, absolutely. Uh, two of our friends are already dealing with it with a parent. Um, and wow. so I, I was convinced that it was time that younger people who don't realize. And I just saw on, on Facebook this morning, somebody asked the question, do you think um, information about Alzheimer's and dementia should be taught in high school. And I said, absolutely, because there are thousands of young people who are caregivers, whether they realize it or not. Absolutely. And millennials are the fastest growing population of caregivers. I mean, I'm the typical caregiver. I'm a 48-year-old woman. <laughs> um, I think the average age is 46 right now, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. But I agree with you. You know, at Us Against Alzheimer's, we really believe that this is a lifespan issue. You know, I have been in this work now for six years and when my kids wake up in the morning, if they got a good night's sleep, I say to them, wow, you know, that was fantastic for your brain health. If we have a healthy meal of salmon and veggies and leafy greens, I remind them that that food is good for their brain. We have to start recalibrating the way we think about our brains. You know, our brains are our most vital organ. They control everything we do, yet they're the least talked about organ in our conversations, certainly in our healthcare conversations. But if we talk about our heart health with our kids, you know, if we talk about the value of physical activity and nutrition and not smoking, we should be talking about our brain health and get people thinking about their brains early enough. I mean, we use helmets to protect our brain. We need to go to the next step with kids. I totally agree. I think it should be taught in school. I think it should be part of health and wellness. I think it should be part of the, the med school curriculum because our brains have been left behind and forgotten for so long. And it's time that we bring them to the forefront of our conversations. It's not that far of a push. I mean, there's so many after school activities. There's no reason why this can't be something even after school on the second Tuesday of the month that right. you have an activity uh, centered around the, the brain health or dementia or uh, caregiving, because so many, so many, so many kids are dealing with caring for someone, whether it be a grandparent or a parent. No, I agree with you. I mean, and listen, the the, the problem is so vast in terms of the lack of detection and diagnosis, the lack of a common narrative and conversation about brain health. So if we can start early and get people in that mode and reduce stigma so that 
this immense job (laughs) to ensure that we can detect this disease at its earliest point. You know, I think it starts with our kids. Absolutely. And we have to teach people that Alzheimer's disease and the other dementias is not just a memory problem. Right. And that's not well understood either, is it, Bobby? I mean, most people think it's just memory. Most people think of a, and, you know, they picture an older person sitting in a wheelchair in a dark room. That's not Alzheimer's disease. (laughs) But that's the narrative that is out there. And I actually am excited, if excited is the right word, but I'm, I'm hopeful when I see more and more movies and books and the entertainment industry starting to take on this issue. So it opens the door for more conversation. You know, we are so thrilled at Us Against Alzheimer's. Mandy Moore is one of our ambassadors for our brain health work. And she plays a character on NBC's This Is Us, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, which is in its last season, sadly, but it talks about and shows the struggle through her detection and diagnosis and now through living with the disease. But it's it's putting a relatable character in front of millions, which I'm hoping these are the types of things that we're going to start to see so that it opens the door for these types of conversations. There are signs of Alzheimer's often years before people recognize that that's what it is because we're focused on on the memory problem. Um, and as you said, and another guest that we've, we've had recently talks about um, how the brain controls everything. So when we're talking about Alzheimer's disease, we're talking about eventually sight, hearing, balance, reasoning, Eventually, you know, it affects taste. It affects how we react to people. So the sooner we get this diagnosis and the sooner we can understand how to deal with the behaviors and the more off we have a team in place to help caregivers do what they need to do 24-7, often for years at a time, the better off we're going to be because I, I fear that it's going to be a long time before we have treatment, let alone cures. Sure. No, I, I don't disagree. And I think that there is a strong awareness of the word Alzheimer's disease, but what it means, how it impacts us, how early the symptoms start or the changes in our brain begin, most of that is not well understood, you know? And so when we think about our work in Alzheimer's disease at Us Against Alzheimer's, we really wanted to kind of, we often say, you know, we wanted to flip Alzheimer's on its head and start talking about brain health. We know that it's a more accessible word. We know it's, you know, a phrase. We know people are more comfortable talking about it given the stigma. And if we can bring people into a discussion around health and wellness and awareness for the risk factors, maybe that will ultimately help us conquer this huge challenge in early detection and diagnosis. So I agree with you. And, and I think that one of the reasons why um, it is kind of not as overtly looked at is because a lot of times people just think of it, well, most times people just think of it as an old person's disease. Right. And, you know, they're old, so let's not worry about it so much. And right. they're, there's more and more and more people that have the early onset 
and then you talk about um, the kids playing football, the young kids playing football, and the concussions and so on, where you start with the traumatic brain injuries. And so it's going to become becoming and going to become even more prevalent in younger folks. I agree with you. And, you know, it is going to be more prevalent with younger folks. And, and even right now, when we think about Alzheimer's disease, you know, it is the only disease in the top 10 leading causes of death for which there is no treatment currently or cure. It disproportionately impacts women and communities of color. Two thirds of people living with the disease are women. And this stat really blew my mind by 2030, which is less than a decade from now, 40% of Americans living with Alzheimer's will be Latino or black. Hmm. And yet 60% of the cases don't get diagnosed. I mean, I really need folks to let that sink in. It's, it's a, an extraordinary problem. I mean, if we were to look at cancer and if, 60% of cancer was diagnosed in stage three or four. The patient advocacy community would be screaming from the mountaintops. And I believe strongly it's time to put Alzheimer's on the top of our list. From public health, we were so thrilled to hear President Biden mention it, you know, in his uh, recent speech, because, you know, we need this type of national attention. We need people to stop being afraid and to realize that while there may not be a treatment or a cure for those of us that have cared for a loved one with this disease, there's so much that can be done when you identify it early. And you what people don't understand when you look at the numbers, not only here in the United States, but across the world, right? This is a global pandemic that is not getting the attention that it deserves. And right now we're dealing with COVID and all of our resources and all of our thoughts are going to that. But the fact of the matter is, as Mike mentioned, younger onset is, is growing rapidly. And I believe yeah. at least in part, it's environmental. It's the things that we put on our skin. It's the way we eat. Um, all of the things that you're talking about, brain health. Right. Right. And I agree. And so we know the tsunami's coming. It's time to start a new conversation, which is really what inspired us to develop this new platform called Brain Guide, because we really wanted it to serve all communities and empower people, whether they're worried about their own brain health, whether they have memory concerns, whether they have concerns for a loved one, or perhaps are caring for someone living with Alzheimer's disease. We wanted people to have a place to go that gives them the next step in their journey, because this is such a challenging path and it's a path that is not always well understood. And so we're hopeful that Brain Guide will allow people to spark this conversation and get to a place where they're having earlier discussions about their brain health. I was on the Brain Guide website and I did the questionnaire, both of them, wanting to see how I was doing and, and also to see how it would work if I were caring for Mike at some point um, to get information there. But before we, we get into that too much, how did the questionnaires come about? What information did you use to put this together? 
Brain Guide was developed utilizing medical experts from the start. We have a wonderful group of medical experts who have been advising us. We've also done market research, both quantitative and qualitative research with users and both people living with the disease, the general public, caregivers to help inform the development and the design of Brain Guide. And we also looked at over 200 assessments that are currently used in a clinical setting, that first step of assessing memory. And we landed on two. And the first is the AD8, which is the assessment that is done for the, uh, excuse me, that is taken on behalf of a loved one. So if I'm worried about my mom, I would go through the questionnaire, the AD8, which is licensed um, through Washington University. And this is a validated tool in the clinical setting today. It's not validated for use on the web bot or the voice bot as we are using it, but we've adapted it and are hoping to have it validated soon. But it is based on what's already used in the clinical setting. And then you, a caregiver would go through the questionnaire and answer the questions. And then based on the results, we provide tailored resources that help guide you on your next step in the journey. Now, I am old enough that each year uh, when I go in for my annual checkup, my doctor is giving me the mini test, uh, draw, uh -huh. draw a clock. Um, here are the three words. Let's distract her. Let's have her give the words back. That And so far, I, I, I'm doing well. <laughs> That's but, great. But we're all doing well until we're not. Exactly. And so, Bobby, the other test that you can take for yourself, which sounds like you did on the web bot, is the MIS or the MIST. The MIST is validated for use on the phone. And this is what this is a four word test that you can take. And you can take it again using this web bot, uh, as well as you can dial um, the 800 number and you can go through the voice bot. And it's a series of questions, a series of distraction tasks. And then we ask you to remember the words that were we reviewed at the beginning. Yeah, I, I, I took that and um, Mike and I were testing each other on how how far through the day we could remember what the words were. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So that's exactly what we're aiming to do. Listen, no matter what happens with the results of these two tests, this does not provide a diagnosis, of course, and a doctor is going to do many more tests, um, but it, it does give you something to talk about. So I love that you all continue the conversation throughout your day. Imagine if, if millions of people were getting online and taking these tests and then it's, it's a conversation starter. You know, hey, I took this test because I've been feeling a little off and, and this is what happened and I have a printout that I'm going to bring to my doctor on my next visit. Maybe it's time I get a baseline. We want people to know there's something that they can do. And when we did our surveys and when we talked with our medical experts over and over again, we heard a common refrain, which was, if there's a piece of paper that says, this is the memory questionnaire I took and here's how I did, the patient feels more empowered when they go into that doctor's office and the doctor is going to pay more attention because they're handing them a piece of paper versus I Googled 
memory problems yeah. and I found 20 articles and here's here's what I'm worried about. It can also be a sense of relief because sure. again, you know, I've worked in supporting caregivers or for 19 years now and I I know the difference between normal aging and in what you need to be concerned about. But I, when I can't remember my granddaughter's name or if I'm speaking at a webinar and all of a sudden I can't think of the word that I want. I can't, I could not help but be concerned, is this happening? Mm -hmm. um, but taking the test and doing as well as I did can relieve some of that concern. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, we've been so blessed by having our medical experts with us and, and, a few of them have repeated this back to me is, you know, it's, it's very normal to, to walk into a room and forget why you walked into the room. It's very normal to forget where you misplaced your keys. These are normal things. Oftentimes they're more related to being distracted or multitasking, right? We all multitask. I'm working so hard on this problem. This is one of my goals for 2021 to stop multitasking because it's not good for my brain. But usually it's because we're not paying attention is why we can't find our keys because we didn't think exact and pay attention where we put them. What is more of a challenge is when you don't remember what the keys are supposed to do, right? Exactly. If you don't know what they're supposed, what they're used for. So we all, many of us, I'm sure I know I have forgotten where I parked my car. Yeah. I always make sure that I spot it, you know, it's like if I, yeah. Um, okay. I look for something familiar that will remind me which row my car is in, uh, something <laughs> exactly. like that. Um, right. But you don't forget what your car is supposed to do No, or why you, why you were parked where you were parked that day. When I couldn't remember my granddaughter's name, Mike reminded me when the kids were growing up, I couldn't remember their names then either. She went down the whole menu. <laughs> so she got to the right one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a, I have a story about grandchildren and names. Um, can I share sure. it in case it's helpful to the caregivers that are listening? So one of the things, you know, as I shared, my mother-in-law was, uh, we didn't live near her and so visited a lot, but you know, one of our favorite things to do is of course, talk on the phone. And as I've learned, this is fairly common as someone with cognitive decline, oftentimes talking on the phone can be challenging because you can't see the person. And so the voices can get, um, confusing, uh, add to that. My husband is a twin. And so he and his twin brother, their voices sound very similar. And it was causing my husband a lot of pain. You know, he really, when he called his parents, he wanted to talk, of course, to his dad and see how he was doing, but he really wanted to talk to his mom. So we brainstormed. And what we did was we created a poster. And on the poster, from top to bottom, we had each of the her five children and their a photo and their name in block letters. And then to the right, we added their uh, spouse or partner with a photo and their name. And then next to that, we added each of the grandchildren with a photo and the name. So we hung that right next to the phone. So when we called, my father-in-law would make sure she was near the poster. And so she would know if she's talking to my husband, Peter, married to Brooks with Paige and Sean, as you know, her grandchildren connected there. So it gave her some 
peace of mind that she was getting it right because she knew she wasn't sometimes. But I also think it gave us so much joy to be able to have those conversations with her. And it, you know, it didn't last for long, but it was a, it was a small, but I think meaningful way to stay connected. So I don't know if that's resonating anywhere with anybody. I hope it helps. A visual family tree, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I should, that's, wow, you're much more succinct than me. I should have said it that way. (laughs) That's, that's fine. (laughs) Feel free. (laughs) Uh, Before we, before we go, um, one of the things that, um, Brain Guide does is it looks at tailoring education and resources based on the answers to the questionnaires. How, um, not the idiosyncrasies or the algorithms of how you do that, but how does it gather the re- the information? Well, I guess I am asking, huh? Uh, how does it put together the resources? Um, is it a big old giant uh, mega data- database that you have, or um, how- yeah, great questions. So, so we developed a, a, a wide number of original pieces of content. We're working with our experts, and then in addition to that, we've identified the very best resources from trusted places like the National Institutes on Aging and others. And so we curated that content based on an algorithm exactly right on the, uh, on the back end of the, the platform, so to speak. So when you go to mybrainguide.org, you wouldn't see that, you wouldn't know it exists. But if you go through one of the questionnaires, the result is a tailored page that says you remembered X number of words. This might be time to talk to a doctor. Here's some resources specifically for you. And so if somebody goes into the questionnaire and they have, they, there's a few questions that we ask up front before they do the memory screen or excuse me, the memory questionnaire. If somebody does not have a diagnosis, but they are worried about their memory and they score poorly the system curates content that focuses on getting that person into early detect into a, a diagnostic conversation with the doctor. So we include, here's what it means to have, you know, screening. Here's what uh, diagnosis is all about. Here are ways to raise this topic with your doctor. So we try to kind of hone in on what's going on with that person's experience. I mean, we've all been there. We've all went, gone to Google and, it can be overwhelming. First of all, the first, you know, 10 articles you see are going to be ads, right? And so it takes a long time to go through that information sharing. So the tailored pages that we give you, they're not the end all be all, but they're intended to, in a very concise way, just give you the information on the next best step in your journey. And um, so that's a perfect place for us to to stop. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we thank you so much. Um, and there will be a link on, on our website so that our listeners can go and, and, and get this information. That's great. And can I, if I could, can I just say one more thing as it's, it's, I didn't have a chance to mention it. And it is, you know, people can visit Brain Guide by visiting mybrainguide.org. But we've also made a phone option because we know not everybody has access to a website. And so anybody can call 855-BRAIN-411 and go through the memory questionnaires. And then uh, they we text you uh, your tailored resources. So we wanted this to be accessible to all communities. It'll always be free and it'll always be private. And I, I hope your listeners give it a try and share it um, with their community. 
Thank you so much. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. Well, it's wonderful to know that this resource is, is out there, and I really do thank Brooks for sharing so much information with us today. I, I mean, I was just mesmerized by the information she was giving us. Um, and I don't think I wrote down a whole lot because I was so mesmerized. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the key things to remember is brain disease, Alzheimer's, other forms of dementias are not old people diseases. Which is and they're not just memory problems. Correct. Okay, you can find more information about Brooks Brain Guide and Us Against Alzheimer's on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes or the Roger That Facebook page and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. If you would like your identity to remain private, you can direct message your question on Facebook and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that, dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.